Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This is episode 320, and we're talking about what to do when your travel partner is sick. It's not the nicest of topics, we know, but it's one that's essential for keeping yourself going and keeping your partner going while you're traveling around the world. It's also quite relevant for us at the moment because we've been in Colombia for about two months, and both of us have been a bit unwell which is not that much fun. It's a bit of a challenge. It's a challenge for the person who is sick and it's a challenge for the other person as well. So we thought we'd talk about it. Well, as for us, we are still in Bogota in Colombia. This is our last week here. In fact, we fly out on Friday back up to Panama City. It's pretty exciting. It's actually our wedding anniversary tomorrow. So we thought we'd do something special and we've booked ourselves into a really nice hotel in Panama City. We're also planning to go to the canal, have a look at that and uh, have a look around the old town because when we were last in Panama City, we were just working hard. Bogota has been interesting. We've spent a lot of time working hard. We've also hit up some of the famous museums that are the top attractions here, as well as getting out and about a little bit to some little day trips. Last weekend, I went out on the Ciclovia. Basically, in Bogota, they close off, I can't remember how many kilometers of roads it is, but it's a lot. They close off all these roads and almost the whole city comes out and cycles around or some people are on skateboards or running or walking or rollerblading. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'd hate to be a driver on uh, on these Sundays. Unfortunately, Craig was feeling a bit unwell, appropriate again for this topic. So I headed out just with my friend Julian and Sebastian and Sebastian's dad, and it was really fun. What I found interesting, though, was Sebastian did warn me that I needed to put sunscreen on. And I thought, yeah, yeah, put sunscreen on my face. But it's Bogota, which is the coldest city in all of Colombia, at least in my experience. So I didn't put any on my arms. I thought I'd be wearing my jacket the whole day. But uh, after about an hour, it was really, it was getting hot. It was actually sunny. And so I took off my jacket. And of course, when you're on a bike, your arms are out in front of you. And I got quite a bit sunburned. Not terribly, but I was definitely pink. Well, as well as going to the National Museum and the Museum of Gold here, my highlight was probably a little trip out to Guatavita, which is a nearby town. And a nice connection with the Gold Museum, their main attraction or or most important display is this little golden raft, beautiful, beautiful model raft with people playing drums on it and, and dressed ceremonially, all out of gold and, and precious stone. And that was pulled out of a sacred lake, which is just next to Guadavita. So we were in the car, we were heading out there with our friends, going to go see it, and of course it was closed. I don't know how you close a lake, but they had some gates and security guards and the lake was closed. Yeah, it's one of these attractions where you, you do kind of a, a bush walk out to the lake and you have a guide and they show you around and everything like that. Apparently it had been closed since the 17th of January, originally because of forest fires that were damaging the area and now for, for works. The security guide was very nice. He told us all about this and he told us about things that we could do in, instead. And we went away feeling a bit bemused that Julian had spent some time looking up information and hadn't found anything about it being closed. So it's just a bit strange. It is indeed, but Guadavita itself was a really pretty town and we ate a lot of good food along the way, so all good. Yeah, Guadavita was really interesting because it used to be located in a valley, but in about, I think it was the 1940s or 50s, they they flooded the valley to make a, a dam and the village was moved up onto a hill and so it's all been rebuilt in a beautiful colonial style, really gorgeous, one of these gorgeous little, little villages. And when we were there, there was a a race going on, one of these long distance, I don't know how long it was, 10 kilometer races, maybe half marathon. And so everyone was really excited and wearing these bright orange shirts and it was really cool. (laughs) 
If you'd like to hear more about our time in Colombia, stay tuned. At the end of the episode, we're going to append a special audio file that we put together for context about the wonderful city of Cartagena and the work that's going on there that Linda went out on tour with. We talked about a few weeks ago, but we've got a special clip at the end of the show. But right now, we're going to be talking about what to do when your travel partner is sick. Sad face. (laughs) So... One of the main benefits of traveling with someone, whether that's your romantic partner or just a friend or a family member, is that you've got a built-in support network. If you get sick, there's someone there to look after you. Maybe they don't particularly want to look after you, especially if it's like your brother or sister, but they will because they love you. Hopefully. Yeah, one one can (laughs) always hope. Well, our system is just that. It's to to look out for the other person when the other person's feeling down. And that doesn't even have to be sick. That can just be tired or overwrought. And so we we keep an eye out for each other. But there's something, uh, some things we've learned along the way that I think can, can help out. Yeah, first of all, the most important thing is to be prepared. So first of all, buy travel insurance. I can't stress this enough. When we first started traveling, we didn't have travel insurance. And luckily, we didn't need it. But I would not travel anywhere without travel insurance these days. The main reason we buy travel insurance isn't for our things, because things can be replaced. It's for our health. If something goes wrong and you don't have enough money to go to the hospital, or if you go to the hospital and you end up having to pay thousands and thousands of dollars and you're in debt for the rest of your life, that's no fun. So, I mean, we just re, uh, we just renewed our policy for the next, I think it was six months. Cost us about 800 New Zealand dollars. That's something like $2 a day. It's not very much money for peace of mind and for knowing that you're going to be looked after if you're sick. Make sure after you buy or while you're doing your research for travel insurance, check out how the process works if something does happen. Do you have to pay and they reimburse or do they pay the organization directly or is it a mix of the two? How does all of that work? Because if you read over it once, you'll know and that will help you when uh, the proverbial papaya hits the fan. Also, make sure that you keep their number handy. Know what the phone number is for your insurance company and keep it somewhere where you know you can get to it. Also, make sure you know how to dial that number from the country you're in. So what's the country code? Is there an 0800 number or a free call number? Can you call collect? Do a little bit of research before you go just so you know what to do in case of emergency. We keep our travel insurance information up to date at indietravelpodcast.com slash insurance. So if you do have questions about travel insurance, check that out and then feel free to be in touch by Twitter or Facebook uh, looking for slash indietravel. So next up, you should always know the country's emergency number. You'll have a phone. Your phone will be able to uh, to use the emergency network, even if you've got no other credit on it. So you must know the country's emergency number. Linda, Columbia? It's one, two, three. I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Smooth. I did actually look it up before we came here, but I forgot. Because the problem is every country has a different number. I know in the States it's 911. In New Zealand it's 111. Every country has a different number, so it's worth looking it up. Some countries have different numbers for medical emergencies as for fire or police. So make sure before you go, look it up and just make a note of it. It might be helpful to have a card in your wallet that has your insurance number and your country's emergency number on it. A good thing to do if you're going to be staying in a hotel or uh, other accommodation for a while is to find out where the nearest hospital or medical center is. 
That'll make sure that if something does go wrong, you will hopefully be able to get yourself there pretty quick. But you know, staff and guest house and hostel staff are all trained, or at least should be, in making sure that you're able to stay safe, whether that's calling in a doctor for a visit in your room or helping you get to the right place at the right time. One thing we do when we first arrive somewhere is just keep our eyes open. I mean, quite often if you're walking down the street towards your hostel or hotel, you'll see a pharmacy and you can think, okay, there's a pharmacy. So just pay attention when you arrive. Maybe if you're in a taxi and you speak the language coming from the airport, you can ask your taxi driver some questions. Oh, is there a medical center near here? Is there a hospital? Just to get your bearings, to get an idea of where everything is. Like Craig says, don't put a lot of stress in this, but just be aware. Another important thing we do to help us be prepared is to keep a pretty well-stocked first aid kit. Now, you might be saying, Craig, Linda, you say you travel carry-on only, but I don't believe you. How do you have a first aid kit in there? But it's true. We do have a first aid kit. I believe we've got an article on what we keep in there on IndieTravelPodcast.com. So rather than uh, spend your, your morning commute listening to us going through everything we have in there, check it out at IndieTravelPodcast.com. In fact, when we first started traveling, we stocked up our first aid kit. We went to a special pharmacy and we bought all these things, including special bandages. And and we still have some of this stuff that we've just not used. I think it's just like um, wet wipes and things like that that you only use in a real emergency. We've got a pair of gloves that are probably just disintegrating, you know, latex gloves that we've had in there for 10 years. And I'm glad to have them because if there's an emergency, I will want to wear gloves. But things like ibuprofen, paracetamol, things like that, that we just keep stocked, we keep, we make sure that it's always up to date. Every year or so I go through and check the expiry date, throw away half of it and buy some more. It's really worth having good quality drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if something does happen, it's important to triage how important it is. And I think as New Zealanders and as travelers that have our share of unusual stomach bugs and things like that, we tend to err on the side of, nah, she'll be right. Yeah, not serious. But yeah, the first thing to do is decide, is it serious? So does it require immediate attention? If it's an injury, it probably requires immediate attention. Even if it's something like a cut, you need to fix it straight away. Or can it wait until tomorrow? If you've got a stomach bag or something like that, there might be something you can do now, but if you're going to go to the doctor, it's probably not urgent. But basically, you need to make that decision. You need to know your own body and decide, are you really sick or is it not serious? Also, your travel partner should help as well. So if your travel partner is sick, keep an eye out on them. If they're saying it's not serious, but you're really sure that it is serious, then you might want to encourage them to go to the doctor sooner rather than later. The most important thing is to talk about it. If you're feeling sick, tell your partner you're feeling sick. Tell your partner you're feeling unwell. And then maybe you can discuss it together to decide whether you need to go to the doctor immediately the next day or just to the pharmacy. Yeah, I know sometimes people keep illness to themselves when they're traveling uh, because they don't want to quote unquote ruin the trip for someone else. But that's not a good way to do it because you end up with this thing where you're unwilling to go and do X because you're worried about how you're feeling and the other person thinks you're being passive aggressive or, or just crazy not wanting to go and do stuff. So it's better even uh, if you're traveling with people you don't know that well. You're not out for sympathy. You're just trying to communicate clearly so people can make the best plans with the time available. Yeah, even if you say something like, look, I'm not feeling so great today. I'm happy to go out, but I might have to go home early or, you know, maybe we can go a bit more slowly today. 
just talk about it. I think that's the major thing in any situation where you're traveling with someone or you're just hanging out with someone is to communicate how you're feeling. And there are a lot of people around you that can help, not only your travel partner. If you're couch surfing, get in touch with your host. If you're staying at a hostel, hotel, guest house, talk with the receptionist. If you don't speak the language, this is a time when it's worth paying for a translator. Yeah, so whether it's serious or not, I think the most important thing is to ask for help. Don't think that you have to deal with this on your own. When you're in another country and you don't know what the system is, ask someone who does know. Like Craig said, your couch surfing host, the receptionist, they'll be willing to help. And if they aren't, there will be someone around who is. In a lot of cases, your travel insurance company will have a helpline you can call, uh, which is sometimes staffed by nurses or people like that, that are able to help you triage the problem. And so they'll be able to give you good, sound advice about what you should do and what you should do next. That's great. Also, in a lot of countries, there's kind of nursing hotlines that are set up where you can call and speak directly to a registered nurse to describe your symptoms and they can help triage, tell you to just go to a pharmacy and and buy X, Y, and Z or head into the doctor and get an appointment. Or as happened to us in one case, stop what you're doing right now, get in the car and go to the hospital. Yeah, so we've actually called those numbers twice. Once was in England. I called up and I talked to the best nurse. She was the most lovely person. I was having chest pains and I called up and I said, look, I'm having these chest pains. And I went to a doctor, but there was no appointment for another two weeks. And she was indignant. She's like, what? They didn't see you and you had chest pains? She was so lovely. In the end, it turned out that just because I had a quite heavy cold and I'd been coughing a lot, uh, that was what was causing my chest pains. I damaged a small a small muscle or something like that. And she said, look, just, just take some ibuprofen, take some paracetamol every two hours. You'll be fine. And so we found a nice B&B and just, and just hold up for about three or four days. And it was really nice in the end. It was fine. The next time I had to call one of these numbers, we were actually back home in New Zealand. We'd been back for about two days and we'd had a long flight to get home and I started having a pain in my leg and I was really stressed that it was deep vein thrombosis. So I called up the hotline and I talked to someone. She was, again, really, really nice, really supportive, but she actually stressed me out a lot because she said, look, it could be serious, it could be not serious, you should go to the hospital straight away. It was the middle of the night, it was about midnight. So I hung up the phone crying, woke up crazy, are you going to take me to the hospital? Went to the hospital And I saw a really lovely doctor. She was really nice, really kind, and she talked me through it. And it turns out that I probably just had a pinched nerve in my back. So I was fine. And Craig was annoyed because we'd gone to the hospital in the middle of the night. But I stand by that decision. I think that if the person I called for help suggested that it could be serious, then it's better just to drop everything and go and get it sorted out. Absolutely. Way better safe than sorry in situations like that. Most of the time when you're sick and on the road, it's not something serious and not something that's going to become serious. It's a minor stomach bug, it's a cold, it's a little bit of altitude sickness. In these cases, it's best just to slow down, hit the brakes, rest, and take some time off. And when I say rest, I don't mean, oh, it's a 12-hour bus journey, I'll sleep on there. No, I I mean, chill out in a nice comfy space and uh, treat yourself a little bit. Sometimes you won't be able to change your travel plans. For example, when we were in Bolivia, we'd booked a salt flats tour, and the night before I ate something really terrible. I don't know what it was, but I woke up in the middle of the night with terrible stomach pains and having to go to the toilet every three minutes. It was disastrous. I had stomach ache. I had a headache. It was the sickest I've ever been on our travels, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. We just couldn't, we couldn't change things. We were on a really strict timetable. We are traveling with friends. I just thought I'm going to suck it up. 
it might not have been the best decision, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. I took some of the pyramid, which is a stopper, and I just went for it. I must have been green most of that trip, but we got through it, and I still remember that as one of my favorite experiences, not being sick, the salt ice tour. That was amazing. Yeah, sometimes there are things where you just can't stop, and in those cases it's great to have a well-stocked first aid kit because one thing's for sure, in that tiny little town of Ayuni, there was not first-class medical care. Not at all. So if you can, rest, take time off, don't worry about missing things. You know, you can always go back, you can always rejig your agenda. That's the first recommendation. But of course, hey, if you can't, you just do the best you can. I think sometimes it's harder for the travel partner than it is for the person who's sick. Because the person who's sick is probably quite happy just to take some time off and rest and stay in bed and, you know, maybe read a book. The person who is not sick, well, you should try to be supportive and kind and bring that person breakfast in bed and, and hot drinks. And you see what she did there? Mm. See what she did? Yeah. Just, just pointing that out. Please continue. Yeah. I noticed that you didn't bring me breakfast in bed this weekend. I was a bit sad. Well, there we go. <laughs> if you are the healthy one, make sure you take up more than your fair share of the extra planning and day to day stuff like uh, shopping, going to the pharmacy for whatever pills are needed, changing travel arrangements, making sure hotel bookings and transfers are all going to work out. You should take responsibility for that, even if it's not your, your kind of primary goal or, or your strength. It can be a bit of a challenge, especially if that kind of thing is what your partner usually does. You know, if your partner's the one who usually does the organizing and suddenly you're having to do it, it's okay. You can do it. You're perfectly capable. I think one thing that's really important is that if you're the person taking up the slack, that you make the best decisions you, you can. And just, even if you don't feel very capable, just, just do the best you can. You can do it. It's fine. But on the other side of the coin, if you're the sick one and your partner is taking up the slack and doing all this work, give them some grace. Maybe they're not going to make the best decision. Maybe they're stressed because you're sick, but they're looking after you and they're making these decisions. It's all going to be fine. Absolutely. That's a great way to go about it. Just, uh, yeah, let, let go of the need for organization as well. Yeah. Let that other person take it over. That's something we do. When one of us is feeling really tired, especially after a long flight or, in my case, a long bus trip, if I have an overnight bus trip and I wake up in the morning, I am completely useless. And I just say to Craig, Craig, it's your job. Make the decisions. It's all on you. But the agreement is that after that, I'm not allowed to complain about the decisions he makes. Well, in over 10 years of travel, I can say that now because it was 10 years in February. Yeah, That's yeah. great. In over 10 years of travel, we have been sick, of course. We've been living outside of our country for most of that time. But mainly, as I said, small things, a bit of flu that keeps you in bed for a couple of days, a bit of food poisoning that keeps you near a bathroom. And luckily, almost never at the same time. We've always been able to tag on and tag off. So like in Bolivia and Ayuni, sometimes it affects the trip. Other times it's in places where we're planning to stay for, for two weeks or two months. And then it just kind of gets absorbed into, uh, into the situation. But one time recently where it affected our trip was out in Cartagena where we were planning on doing two tours. One of them was a Gabriel Garcia Marquez tour, and the other one was a context tour of a non-profit that was working uh, in Cartagena with the poorer communities. I was super excited about both of them. But on the morning of the second tour, I woke up, I was feeling ill, I was not feeling good. And every hour going up, I told myself, yeah, I'll be able to get up, yeah. 
I'll be able to get up. Yeah, I'll be able to do it. But every time I stood up, I, I was dizzy, I had nausea, I was straight back to bed again. And so with just an hour to go, I dumped Linda in it and said, I'm sorry, I just can't go. It wasn't even an hour, it was about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, 10 minutes. 10 minutes, an hour, same, same, right? Yeah. Yeah, you had heaps of time to prepare. Yeah. So there I was going off, we were going to be doing some recording on this tour and talking to the guide, I wanted to take photos. Instead of just being responsible for the audio and enjoying the tour, suddenly I had like six different gadgets that I was responsible for and it was fine. But uh, I had to remember, look, if Craig's sick, the most important thing is for him to rest and get better. I'm going to go out and enjoy myself and have fun. It's a pity he can't come. He missed out. But, I mean, that's life. So as we wrap up this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast, we're going to leave you with the uh, the audio from that tour. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, and we'll be in touch from Panama, where we'll be next week. That's us for this week. Until next time, travel well. Travel is about really seeing a place, not just its pretty parts. We're here in Cartagena, Colombia, in search of deep travel experiences. Cartagena is a charming city, with its walled old town and its location on the sea. It's the setting of two of Gabriel Garcia Marx's books, and the location of one of his houses. It's a vibrant place with great nightlife and lots of history. There are heaps of colonial buildings, convents, monasteries, and then the fortifications. It's a great place to visit. Over here we see, for example, the high-rises, it's Boca Grande, you know, they call it a little Miami, the beach area, uh, financial area, and also hotel area of the city. We see the main port of the city. Far right, we see the old city, you know, the, the two churches over there, that's what the old city is, surrounded by the walls built by the Spanish in the early 1600s, using Africans to build about a five-mile-long wall, and then a port outside the walled city to defend the city from attacks coming from land. While Cartagena is popular with tourists, not many venture far from the walled city. Very few head to the poorer neighbourhoods, where 60% of the city's population of 1.5 million people lives. This is understandable. These are rough areas where drugs and gang warfare are a huge problem, and unwary travellers can present a target. It's a little bit more of like a rough area. The two neighbourhoods right beside each other right here are, the kids are in like fights. So we've heard like gunshots every night, and it's just really, it's, it's a tough neighborhood. But if you only visit the tourist hotspots, you only see half the story. The Barrio, visiting and volunteering in San Francisco tour, gives you a chance to see the other side of Cartagena with Alex Rocha, a local man who seems to know and love everyone everywhere. Yeah, the youth center is something that came out of my heart, out of the grace shown to me after being lost out there in drug addiction and gang activity. So I decided that I wanted to do something to change the um, lives of the children in the community. We started with the trip up La Popa for a great view of Cartagena from above and stopped briefly in the market to see local people at work, or perhaps playing dominoes as the work day wound to a close. The highlight of the trip, though, was the visit to the Alex Rocha Youth Centre. If we didn't have this place or in the community, the children would be out there getting in trouble. So because of this place, children are not getting in trouble, but at the same time they are having fun and learning and just recreating themselves and being better kids. That's what is beautiful about it. Alex is an inspiration. He's working hard to make changes in a challenging neighborhood while providing visitors a chance to see another side of Cartagena. It's only a few minutes from the tourist hotspots, but is well off the tourist track. 
If you're looking for deep travel, Alex Rocha's Barrio Tour with Context Travel is a great place to start.